Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Praise God. Give Him thanks. Have gratitude in your heart. It's, uh, it's Psalm 103. Let's read the first uh, couple verses together. And this is King David who wrote this psalm. And really just has this moment in his life where he actually begins to rehearse in his own heart the reasons why he wanted to bless God. So David writes in verse 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. You think right there, we're going to pause there for a moment just so we can sort of get our minds wrapped around what, what King David was saying. You think about the, the daily stress, the daily living that we and I go through. It's good for us to do what David does in this psalm and take a break and reflect on all the benefits of belonging to Jesus Christ. Now, the first five verses, uh, David's really talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He, he's really talking to himself. Can we just get a show of hands? How many of you guys like talk to yourself like that? You talk to yourself, you're you know, like, what's wrong with you? You know, in another par- part of the Bible, it was King David who said uh, to his soul, um, why, is, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? And then he like charged himself, like, put your hope in God. Well, here he is saying, like, you know, uh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me for all the benefits that he has given to me. You're, you're not a crazy person because you, you know, speak to yourself. You're actually mature because you're actually trying to switch gears in your life when, when it, it's as if David is saying, hey, David, wake up and smell the flowers. Like, hey, David, get your eyes off all that is wrong in your life and start putting your eyes on the things that are right and give God glory and bless his name. Acknowledge that when, when, when David says to bless the Lord, it means to acknowledge his worthiness. It means to have gratitude towards him and really thank and praise him for what he has done. And when David says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, for David, this was sort of like a total being kind of moment. You think about praising God, you know, oftentimes when we sing on a Sunday morning, you know, we're blessing his name, we're praising his name, and that uh, we're using our lips, we may use our hands, we may use our arms and raise them up or clap unto the Lord. And what David is saying is it's not just the mechanics of something or even verbalizing, I bless you because of this. He's saying it's at the soul level and at the heart level. He's saying unite your entire being to bless the Lord. And David then gives these reasons. In fact, if you're, if you're jotting some stuff down, you could write right next to the side of your Bible. You can also write it in the back of our bulletin. Is that David begins <clears throat> saying, these are my reasons to praise. Number one, his personal blessings to me. And David again begins to sort of recount them. In verse three, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sin." who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David says these are personal blessings. And again, he's talking to his soul. 
soul, here's the reason why you ought to bless God. Number one, how he forgives you of your sins. He's recounting these blessings that he's received. You know, there's a, a, a spot in the Bible in one of the Psalms where David says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. A joyfulness, a happiness is, is about them because, because they belong to God. Think about the, 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 the things that you and I get our eyes off uh, of apart from God. The, the, the struggles of our life, we all have them. David did too. We all have like situations that aren't like working out like we were hoping to. And yet, David says, man, I have lots of reasons to bless God. And even that, that statement that he says in another psalm, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. His eyes are on the fact that I belong to God and how quickly we forget or we fail to recognize the good things that God has done for us. We used to have a, a young person, Tam and I did, way back when we were um, college uh, pastors at a church down south. And, and I used to say to this one student, hey, God bless you. And then she would respond by, oh, he has, and, uh, and just pray that I see it. And it used to get under my skin, you know what I mean? But it's like, oh, hey, God bless you. I'm like, oh, don't say it to her. And she'd say, oh, he has. I'm like, oh, I know, I've heard. And then, and then her statement was, just pray I see it. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, you know what? That's actually a really great perspective. Because God has really blessed us. And David starts recounting personally all the things that God had done for him. And yet, we just miss it. We fail to recognize it, and we never bless him for what he has done. He lists these benefits that we're not supposed to forget. Think about your life today. Take some inventory this week and jot down why, why, what is my reasons to praise God? What is in my life that God has done for me that I ought to be the one who says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, on a Monday morning. Bless his holy name. You take some inventory and you ask yourself, man, what are my reasons to bless the Lord for who he is and for what he's done? The fact that he is good to me. We often forget to be thankful to God for his benefits, and yet thanksgiving is such a major part of the Christian life. David's circumstances, they weren't ideal. They weren't perfect. He was chased by Saul for a decade, even though God had given him the promise, you're going to be the next king. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel, and yet it was a decade later that he actually saw that come to pass. He was actually run out of the kingdom by his, one of his own rebellious sons, Absalom. So David didn't have these perfect circumstances where all the stars aligned, and you go like, oh my gosh, everything is perfect on this Sunday morning. Okay, now you're worthy of my praise, God. We don't have perfect circumstances like David's. There's always something that you could cry about. There's always something this morning that you could complain about in your own life. But guess what? There is always something to be thankful for, and that is a mental choice that you and I take. Yes, this is real in my life, but soul, speaking to yourself, you ought to be blessing God, for you have a lot of things that he's benefited your life with. We're so prone to forget all that God is and does and has done for us. We're like the, the 10 lepers, you know, Jesus healed 10 guys of leprosy and only one came back and Jesus says, we're not all the 10 of you healed and yet there's only this one has come back. I wonder if that's your batting average and that's my batting average. That's the only thing I know about baseball, by the way. I know that I don't like the Dodgers. I do know that. Just because of the Dodgers, no, I'm just kidding. I don't even like baseball. I like the Padres. 
There we go, because they're in San Diego, and that's the only reason why. Like, fresh air. But every 10 times you go up to bat, I also am not good at math. <laughs> One in 10. I wonder if you and I are worse. I wonder if you and I were to actually take pen and paper this week and to say, what are my reasons to praise? That if you actually get way beyond 10 and you say, man, I haven't thanked God for any of these things that God has done in my life for a very long time. David says, man, bless the Lord. And don't forget his benefits. He sees his blessings. And by the way, you know what happens when you and I have an attitude of thankfulness and gratefulness for what God has done? It changes your view of life. You get your eyes off what is wrong. You get your eyes on to what is right, the things that God is doing. And like David said, happy are the people whose God is the Lord, who recognize that God is on their side. God is for them. He's not going to abandon them. They become joyful people. You know, the most joyful people that I know personally that are followers of Christ are not people who have stuff that God is just doing in their life. They're people who are filled with praise and gratitude for the tiny things that God does for them. What are some of those tiny things? Oh, forgiveness is one. So David begins with forgiveness. David forgives, or David forgives. <laughs> God has forgiven all of David's sin, and he recognizes that first. Boy, this is a benefit I don't want to forget, he tells his soul. His first need, my first need, by the way, your first need in life is to be forgiven. It is the only way you and I can be made right with God and have a relationship with him. That's why David writes in Psalm 32, Oh, the happiness of the man whose sin is forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. His rebellion, his sin. We talked two weeks back, Psalm 51. If you weren't with us, you can go grab that online. Where, where David, it was really his confession, repentance, and his restoration and renewal after he had come to finally agree with God, I have grossly sinned against you, a holy God. And then he wrote Psalm 32, and it's just like this joyful song of God, I'm so blessed that I'm a forgiven man and I'm made right with you and have a relationship with you. See, David knew his sin. As Psalm 51, he writes all about that, but he experienced such grace. The benefit of being forgiven. Some of us walk around as if we haven't been forgiven. You look back at a mistake in your life, a sin that you've committed in your life, and maybe there's repercussions from that sin, and you sort of carry that around as if God hasn't forgiven it. David says one of his benefits is I've been forgiven much. You might feel like, man, I've just blown it too bad or messed up again or I've wandered back into sin. I love what we learn in the New Testament is that Jesus maintains our forgiven state. Think about that. He tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that, that as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continually cleanses us. And two verses later, he says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is an ongoing action in your life simply because you're his child. You're a believer. He says he forgives all my sin. That's the grandest reason that you and I should bless God and praise God. He continues, he says, he heals all my diseases. 
We read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, it's the it's prophecy of the suffering servant. Written hundreds of years before Jesus went to the cross, and yet it's an exact description of not only what happened to Jesus on the cross, but the spiritual uh, miraculous things that happened as he hung there on the cross. And Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. By those lash marks that Jesus took for you and I, the Bible says that you and I are provided healing in that moment when you and I belong to him. Now, some would see that as physical healing, and I want you to know, I believe that God does do the miraculous healing of people's physical bodies. We've seen God reverse cancer cells. We've seen God bring healing into people's lives, although it's not a guaranteed thing. We've also seen the Apostle Paul himself who walked around with an infirmity that he asked God to take away three times, and God says, veto. And Paul's like, okay, that's not cool. He doesn't say that. He actually says something different. God says, God did not heal him. And God spoke these words to Paul. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, then you will be strong. And so Paul took that infirmity and said, God, if this is something I have to carry around, a physical ailment for my entire life, so be it, because your grace is going to be there. So what kind of healing is David talking about? Well, he's really talking about these spiritual things, isn't he? Forgiveness of sin. And so that, that healing in his life is this, uh, is this you know, spiritual healing that brought about a relationship with God. But also you think about the emotional healing that takes place when, when a person is a follower of God. You think about the brokenness that God promises to bring restoration in a person's life. I think that might be the greatest moments of healing in a person's life, when God takes a broken and crushed spirit and he revives it and he heals it and he breathes life into it. Isaiah chapter 1 tells us this kind of description of the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. They thought, man, everything is great, God is blessing us, man. We've got money in the bank. And, and God looked at their spiritual state, and he begins to describe, as it were, if they had had the disease of leprosy. And he actually says, from the crown of your head to the bottom of your feet, you are covered in this leprous sores. And he was speaking of the spiritual condition of the nation. And yet that's what God does in a person's life. When they come to him, they, they find forgiveness, and that's an ongoing thing in our life as followers of Christ. And they find healing for their souls, as David himself says, that, Lord, you have healed all my diseases. He also said that you've redeemed me from the pit. The pit meaning destruction. Like literally, you have, you've redeemed me from where I should be, which would be hell. And he also redeems us from the hell on earth. Think about the ways that your life, my life, has moved in a, in a, in a, a, a direction of the pit or destruction. Some of you guys have walked through addiction. You've walked through despair. Sin in our lives have left us in a state of destruction. Think about your life before Christ. Where were you headed? Man, unless the Lord had broken my life, I would be in the pit, even as David says. But it's not just the negative things that God does in David's life, forgives his sins, heals his disease, and removes those negative things and rescues him from the pit. He also said there is this positive things that God does. He crowns me with loving kindness and mercy. Like a crown of love laid upon his head, like a wreath put upon his head. He says, I wear this and people can see the fact that I am a recipient of God's steadfast love. 
and, and blessings and mercy upon my life. And then he says, and he satisfies me. In verse 5, um, he satisfies you with good, speaking to his soul, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He satisfies David's life. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, there she was. Come at, she came out during the, the afternoon time because she didn't want to have to see the other ladies in the, in the town of Samaria. And, and, and Jesus said to her, hey, if you drink this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. And he was speaking of a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit dwelling in her heart. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and he who partakes of me will never hunger and never thirst. In another place, he said, I'm the living water, and if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. Think about the soul satisfaction. This is more than entertainment or, or the good things that provide pleasure. These are rich things in David's life. Deep joy from God's gifts to him. Friendships, think about your life. Answer prayers. Peace in your heart, even as Jesus talked about that living water and you will never thirst again. And he said that would renew your strength like that of an eagle. If you need strength today, according to David, some of the personal blessings that came to him because he belonged to God is that he had renewal in his heart. I love that when, man, you see a person who, well, I don't love to see a person weary and worn out in life. But I love when they get to the end of their rope and they say, God, I am desperate for you to renew me. And then God renews them and refreshes them and gives them new life. Isaiah talks about that, that even though young men stumble and fall, that they will mount up with wings like an eagle, right? To have that kind of strength and refreshing. If you need that today, man, ask him for it. And if you don't know what you should bless God for, hey, start with that list right there. How has God blessed you? Well, David continues, and he, and he says, this is more than just personal. He moves into the next section. He talks about them as a nation. These are reasons why we, the nation of Israel, should be thanking and blessing God. He moves from his personal blessings to him onto his compassionate nature for others. In verse 6, David says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide or to strive with humans, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his life, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place, is no, or, and the, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom's rule over all. David says, here's another reason why we ought to bless God. For his compassionate nature. And you read through that list of how God had blessed the nation of Israel 
reasons that they ought to come and bless his name as he wraps up this psalm, calling not, upon, not, not only upon his soul, not only upon the nation of Israel that's been a recipient of this compassionate God, but he calls upon all the works of heaven, all the angels of heaven, saying, guys, come get with me. We ought to be blessing God. He has compassion for those who are oppressed. I think to the human eye, it looks like as if people get away with oppression, right? When you read that, boy, he has compassion on those who are oppressed. And you go, boy, I know a lot of people who are still struggling. A lot of people groups that are still uh, oppressed. How does God do that in our lives? Well, some of the ways he does it is through the church. The church actually waking up and saying like, hey, we're not supposed to just be here, although we are here. We're not supposed to just have tri-tip, although we are going to have tri-tip and some vegan stuff for those of you who partake. There's salad. <laughs> and we're not supposed to just have fun together and do Bible studies together. We are supposed to be on a move to actually take the gospel by his stripes, people are healed out into the nations and actually bring relief. That's how God brings relief. The things going over to Kenya, Africa, and working with the, the broken lives and the broken bodies over there, to bringing medical aid and healing to those bodies and bringing the gospel message to them. God does this to all who are oppressed. He uses government agencies. And one day, though just like physical healing, our ultimate physical healing happens when we get to heaven, one day God will right every wrong. Every person will stand and be accountable for the way they treated humanity. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He says the way that he led Israel in verse 7 and 8. And in the desert, he revealed himself to the nation of Israel. And then he starts talking about this, this compassionate God in verse 8. He says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. How many of you have ever heard this statement? Oh, the God of the Old Testament, he's an angry God. He's a wrathful God. But the God of the New Testament, he's like a hippie with a flower and a lamb around his neck. He's full of love and peace. You should read Revelation chapter 14 and see this hippie with a lamb around his neck and see how he holds the world accountable uh, with his loving and peaceful ways. We read in the Old Testament that God is a God of mercy, grace, patient. Where did David learn these things? David learned this from reading his Bible. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses said to God, God, I want to see your glory. And, and God's like, it, it will blow you away. Like literally you can't see God's glory. No human flesh can ever see God in all of his glory and actually live. So uh, God said, Moses, I'm going to put you up in this cliff. And as he passed by, he said he proclaimed his name. And what was the name? Your name meant your character. He proclaimed, God is merciful. God is gracious. He's abounding in steadfast love. That was where David learned about who God was. You and I deserve God's wrath, but he's patient with human beings. And he gives us time to actually repent. And Peter writes about a group of people that were saying things like, hey, Peter, you keep talking about Jesus returning, you know? You talk about, like, the rapture of the church and Jesus coming back and establishing his kingdom. Where are these days you keep talking about? Back, back when I first became a Christian, 1988 is when I became a Christian. And a lot of people were talking about, like, you know, things that were going on in the world at that time. It looked as if the sort of like the, the landscape was ripe for Jesus to return. I'm like, I haven't got married yet, 
more importantly, I haven't gone to my wedding night yet. Can we like hold off Jesus till your return? And there's, don't judge me. There's a lot of guys that prayed that prayer. And then after they got married, they're praying prayers like, Lord, where's this promise you to return? I thought you were going to return. Here's what Peter said. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's our gracious God. He gives people time to change their actions. In verse 9, he says that, that he has a righteous anger over sin and rebellion. He is righteous, but he's loving. He's made a way for righteous, a righteous God to extend mercy to sinners. And in verse 10, this beautiful part of this psalm, in fact, it's what I'm going to encourage you to meditate on and try to memorize this week, verse 10 through 12. It's really an explanation of grace, isn't it? Where he says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, meaning that you and I deserve way more. He, that's not how he treats us. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has, does he remove our transgressions from us. This is an explanation of what grace is all about. He has dealt with another according to our sins. His son, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it's by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast, meaning that you and I are saved simply because God's favor has been given to you, and you've recognized your need for salvation, and you've reached up and received that free gift of eternal life. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And David says here again, he magnifies, he's forgiven me personally. And guys, he extends forgiveness to us as a nation. How often we let our past define our future, right? Well, man, I'm still this person that made this major mistake. And yet God has forgiven. How great is his love? He says, as high as the heavens. Currently, the estimation of how high the heavens are is 46 billion light years away, and it continues to grow. That's sufficient for me, is steadfast love. How much does God love you? Well, currently, 46 billion light years. That's how far he loves me. That's a pretty big movement, isn't it? He's removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. Did David know that the earth was round? Interesting. He didn't say north and south. You've removed my sins as far as the north is from the south. But as soon as you go north, like thousands of miles, immediately you're going over the North Pole. You say hi to Santa. And then you say you've been good. And then, you, then you're going south again. But he says as far as the east is from the west, guess what? You get on a globe and you, and you spin that thing around. You go, if I go east, you're always going east. And if you go west, you're always going west. It means the idea is that they never touch. That's how far God has removed your sin. That's how far he's removed my sin. And he extends his love beyond what we can even imagine. And verse 13, like a parent, he's compassionate. Why is he so merciful? He says, because he knows our frame. He remembers that we're made out of dust. He takes into account our weakness, our frailty. 
I thought about this this morning, those times that I was at Disneyland with my tired kids, with tired parents. And, uh, and, for, and for some reason, we always went when like, Anaheim was like hotter than Fresno. And, uh, you know, I mean, and just like, like, dude, you're the person that brought this kid here. You know what I mean? And what do you do? Man, a compassionate parent picks him up, puts him on their shoulders, comforts them. You recognize that I can't demand you do something you're unable to do with your toddler little legs. You're compassionate. You pick up that child. And that's what David works on here. Like, God, that's how you treat me. That's how you treat us. Sometimes we have such a high expectation for ourselves, right? Have you ever, have you ever been disappointed in what you can actually do? Have you ever thought to yourself, wow, I didn't realize I had that kind of potential to dishonor God in that kind of a way. Is there anybody else have you ever judged somebody and then you yourself did something equal or worse? There we go. Thank you. Matt, I saw you hold up two. I don't know if that was double, twice, but I saw your hand. You know, God doesn't have those expectations on us. He knows who we really are. He knows our weakness. We set these high expectations like, man, I... You know, my son's getting ready to have our first grandchild. Baby shark's coming November sometime. And, uh, you know, and I remember taking him home and thinking to myself, like, all the ways that I was going to be the greatest parent ever. And I, I'm so grateful that we get a redo with a grandbaby because of just failure after failure. And you're just so disappointed in yourself. How could you do that? How could you, you know? You know, I, I think that sometimes that we put like pressure on ourselves that God is not putting on us. And so David says, God, you're a compassionate God. You know us. You love us. You want us to rely on you. Why? Because he's merciful. We don't base our standing with him on our character, but his, his unchanging love, his eternal love. And then he contrasts who he is with human beings. He says, man's days are fleeting. God's mercy extends to eternity. The word that he chose to use was from vanishing point to vanishing point. If you can see as far as your eye can see, to if you finally can't see anything else, he says, that's that moment. That's how far God's eternal love extends to you and I. Though everything else changes, his love remains is the idea. And it's those who are the recipients of this incredible love and mercy are believers. David knows that the source of all these blessings are God. I'm not forgiven because I'm sweet or good. You're not forgiven because you try harder. You're forgiven because of his mercy and his love. And David says, and God's rule extends over everything. And that gets him to this last sort of like uh, soul, you need to bless God. Nation, you need to bless God because he's compassionate to us. And then this last one, we need to bless God because of his sovereign rule over all. In verse 20, he says, in case I left anybody out, bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will, speaking of angels. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Now he's talking about all of creation, the heavens, the stars, the planets, all of creation. He says, in all places of his dominion. And then he wraps up again with this personal, bless the Lord, oh my soul. In case I left any of you guys out, he says, all y'all, come on and praise him. 
He begins with his soul, then the nation, then creation, and now back to his soul. Like a worship leader calling the universe to recognize his worthiness, and yet his praiseworthiness is so great, all of his works together are still inadequate to do justice to the worthiness of God. And he comes back to his soul. David would call you and I, and Scripture would call you and I, to have the task before us to remember his benefits and to bless the source of them all. To fill your days with gratitude because of all the benefits that God has done for you.